Romans chapter 5, I, we've, I have covered 12, starting from verse 12 down through verse 17. It's all one thought, though, but I will pick it up from verse 18. But the, the whole idea and context is coming where verse 12 begins, as Paul is summarizing, coming to an important conclusion, especially to those who trust in the religion or trust in Judaism or trust in what they do for salvation in regards to the idea that Jesus Christ can hum, somehow, this action of this man, could save all of mankind. So let me just read from verse 17, um, uh, um, 17 down here. It says... Uh, or verse 18, excuse me, from verse 18, 19, and, and through the end of the chapter there. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. <clears throat> Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For if by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life, by Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I ask for your, your help and your mercy and your grace. Lord, please, I pray that your spirit would work and strengthen your people. Lord, control what I say and how I say it. Help me to stay true to your word. Lord, help me to be effective in communicating it. And Lord, I pray that it would change us. It would draw us closer to you. It helped meet the needs that are in the room. Lord, help us to focus on you this evening. And, and what you would have for us. Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted, Lord, I pray for that conviction and that drawing that perhaps even this evening they would repent and place their faith in Christ. Lord, we ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Again, last week as I began this message, I tried to point out and by asking the question, who, who's had the most influence in all of humanity? I brought up several different examples throughout history of people who had tremendous impact on the world, from Henry Ford to Charles Darwin to William Shakespeare and the influence they had. But of course, what I was driving at is that there are two men that stand out that have had more influence in all of humanity than any... You can combine everyone else. It doesn't come close. And those two men are Adam and the Lord Jesus Christ. Their actions and what they did have had more of an effect on humanity than anything else. To quote from one commentator, he said this concerning the two men, Adam and Christ. Two men have affected the whole of the human race for time and an eternity, more than all others combined and multiplied by an infinite number. Two men in a single act have made a greater impact on the world than all other people and all other acts combined and multiplied infinitely. And, of course, he is speaking of Adam and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul, remember what he's doing here. He has been, for, for coming in through these five chapters, has been making the case, starting with the sin of mankind in chapter 1, to the sin of those even in religion and in Judaism, that the answer, the only answer, is in the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, on His sacrifice, how it is, how we are justified before the Creator by faith alone through His actions. Well, one of the arguments against that is going to be how in the world could another man, one man, 
affect my reconciliation to the Creator. Because religion says, you have to do something to get back to God. And Paul's whole argument is, no, you don't. The way back to God is because of the actions or the act of someone else. So he's been making the case through Adam how it's because of Adam's disobedience and what he did. That's the reason why we sin. Matter of fact, those in Judaism would completely agree with Paul. They would know that. They would understand. Yeah, we have a sin nature because of Adam. We're condemned because of Adam. That's what's taking place. So he's trying to draw them to a logical conclusion. Listen, if Adam brought sin in the world, which he did. Wherefore, it's by one man sin entered into the world. They know that to be a truth. Again, we talked about that last week. Just to imagine how that single moment in time changed the universe. How the very moment that Adam took of that forbidden fruit, how it changed everything. How not only him personally we talked about last week, how at that moment the emotions that would have hit him that he never experienced before. Guilt. Shame. Impurity. Think, I didn't even bring this up. The disconnect all of a sudden, at that instant from the Creator. At that very instant, He would have experienced all of those. All of a sudden, the weight of His actions hitting Him. I have no doubt He's thinking, what have I done? But His actions did not just affect Him. We're going to see that tonight. It affected all of humanity, all of creation. It brought sin in the world, which led to death. Again, last week we dealt with that within the first couple of verses. All that took place because of that. How death now ruled Adam and all of mankind after him, and how the physical death came into play, an immediate spiritual death happened, and of course an eternal death, a separation from God. But how that in Jesus Christ, though, justification was possible. So now that brings us to where we're at right now with this current message. Let me get my notes in order. I've got a lot of papers here. So as we come to the conclusion, what Paul is doing in these last several verses is making a, a summary of it. And it's so important uh, of what he's driving at. So once again, in these last verses, he's looking at Adam and Christ. The importance of one, the influence that each man had on all of creation and all of humanity. And again, he starts back with Adam. And we talked about this last week as a result of Adam's actions, sin and death coming into the world. The offense of one, as it says in chapter 5 and verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came. And the word offense there is the exact same word as trespass. Just like when you put up a no trespassing sign on your property. There comes a point when somebody crosses that line, they now have trespassed. That's what Adam did. He had all that he needed in the garden. God set up the perfect environment, the perfect situation. I mean, it was ideal. And he put the one law in place. The one prohibition was in place. And that was the line that he crossed. And it changed everything that day. His actions of that one man had a powerful and horrible effect on all of humanity and all of creation. What it ended up producing with sin now coming into this world is is this uh, 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 is this uh, 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 
uh, produced a, a mentality and a reality of disobedience in all of God's creation. I want you to think about this. It is, it is what Adam did, Adam's action, that explains perfectly the current condition of the world. It is. We look at this world, we see the wickedness, the blindness, the vileness. What we are seeing is what the disobedience of Adam, that is in all of us, what it is producing. As time goes on, as the Bible tells us, it will get worse and worse. Just like it did even in Adam's day, coming up to the time of Noah, where it reached a certain point where the Lord says, you know what? I've got to start over. All evil, all iniquity, all sin is because of Adam's sin. All illness, disease, infirmity. Listen, this touches every area of life. I mean, even in the physical world, the decay that we see, things breaking down. Why do you think we have to have police and and, and the crime and, and, and courts and locks on our doors and prisons? As a result of Adam's sin and disobedience coming into play, all of a sudden, life changed. When Adam was in the garden, it was a measure of perfection. But now, man's life became about survival in this world. Now there was, for lack of a better word, scarcity, if you will. I mean, to survive, to get food. I mean, it was going to, God was going to allow it to be there, but it wasn't no longer easy. He's going to sweat. He's going to work. There's going to be toil. There's going to be pain. In the garden, that was not an issue. It wasn't about survival. It wasn't about making sure I can provide for my family, make sure I can do this. No, it was there. Adam's sin was devastating. And make no mistake, Adam did not think about the overreaching effects of his actions. Now, I, I, don't, I think he realized it because I think he was probably the, the, the smartest man who ever lived. I think he realized it really quick after what all this was going to mean. But in that moment, I don't think he did. How often do we do that? We think our sin just affects us. It doesn't. How many of you parents recognize your own failures in your children? Isn't that a horrible thought when you see that and then when they get older? I'm glad I didn't recognize any in Daniel. David didn't understand what would happen when he took Bathsheba and all that would come about. Achan didn't understand all that it would affect how his fellow countrymen in battle would die because of his sin. What would happen to his family because of his sin? When you make choices that you choose because of your sinful nature, disobedience to God, you are blinded to how that's going to affect others around you. The whole of the human race is literally characterized by disobedience to God. And we can see it clearly. 
This is why they reject God. This is why they hate God. This is why they want prayer out of school. I mean, even in Ephesians chapter 2, it calls, it calls the world what? The children of disobedience. It's in us. It's, it's in our blood. Do you understand? It's, it's in there. It's, 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 I, I don't want to equate it because sometimes it's used, and I don't mean it in that way at all, where psychology tries to make sin into a disease to lessen guilt and responsibility. That's not what I mean by this. But I mean, in the essence, a disease that's running through our system that makes us prone to disobedience, that makes us prone to rebellion. It's in us. I mean, look in the eyes of each other. It's there. Man is born disobedient. Do you know what parenting is basically all about for the most part? Teaching your children how to deal with that disobedient nature. It is. Because it's in them. We're trying to provide guidance and wisdom as we struggle in this world. How to control that disobedient nature so it doesn't destroy your life. Because the end is always destruction. So we try and steal character and discipline and things to try and keep it in check. But our culture is dismantling those checks all around us. It's leading to suicide and drug use and pain and suffering beyond what any of us have ever seen in a generation. I mean, we can see how the disobedience is in us, in the lives of people. When you look at them, you can see how they're affected by sin, how it courses through their veins. It's almost like it's a need in their life to be rebellious, to go against authority. Because it's in them. That pain in the eyes that you see of somebody with their inability to stop it. How it's just so controlling. Whether it's the man who's just a constant liar. Or filled with anger or pride. Or the drug addict or the drunk. Whatever angle that sin in his life that's coursing through his veins can grab hold of. Whatever measure of disobedience, it'll grab and destroy. You can really see the helplessness in people when it comes to sin. Today, as I was preparing this yesterday and today, this came in an email. We get email responses from radio and online frequently. The timing of this is amazing. This is just today as I'm preparing this message. He said, hello, it's it's from a man. I won't won't give his name out. He said, I left church a little over four years ago. My reasons are valid, but I really didn't get into another one. I did go to, he lets me know the church he used to attend. I, I won't give that out. He said, but I basically just don't care anymore. I'm getting worse and worse. Sin is getting more and more prevalent in my life. My mouth is filthy, and I just don't even try. I'm like, what is the point? I will definitely fail. I've stopped praying for about a year. I sort of pray, but barely. It's just feeling sorry for myself because I'm miserable. I'm miserable because nothing in this life keeps me distracted for very long because I know the truth down to the core. 
I'm going to pray to start over. He had listened to one of our series. He was emailing and saying thank you for it. The biggest problem to me, at least, I think, is I've lost my desire to study and read the Bible. Not just for facts. Man, I used to get so excited when I had learned things about Jesus. How His work pertained to the temple. It's amazing to see how God so perfectly revealed Himself. He goes on to say, I'll go, I'll go near the end. I don't want anything from you other than to say thank you for posting your videos and to ask you to pray for me to snap out of the place I've put myself in. He's realizing the reality and the power of his sin nature. How strong it is. See, again, think back. That goes into pairing. Even when you get older, it's about this somehow a measure of discipline because you want your disobedience. You want to do what you want to do, but you had better understand that's coming from a place of rebellion and disobedience. You have to recognize that. The end is destruction. I want you to think about this. When you leave here today and you had to work tomorrow, or you go talk with your neighbors. You begin to see, or you're, you're traveling, you see the vileness in this world, how they hate God, want nothing to do with Him. You better remember why that's taking place. It's in them. Like a disease, if you will. Again, understand where I'm coming from. Don't come to me and say, I'm trying to equate that. Don't do that. But I need you to see what this text is teaching us. How sin entered the world through Adam. How it led to the disobedience of all of mankind. It's in us. It's it's there. And now we're in a place where the guards that a Christian nation had built up that protected the culture for a while have been taken down. That's why we see what's happening right now. The disobedience is unchecked. Why would you get so mad at them? Why don't you try showing compassion and actually give the gospel that can change their life? He goes into verse 20. Look at verse 20. He says this. Bring something up here. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Now, I'll cover the grace portion when I get to Christ. Right now, I'm still dealing with Adam. But here we have Adam and the law. The law is brought up here. As Paul's point was, as he has been making, the law could not change the consequences of what sin brought into the world. It in no way could provide a means of salvation. As a matter of fact, what Paul said here, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. The truth is, I want you to think about this for a second. The law, in one sense, um, leads to more sin, if you will. Understand what I'm saying? Let let me show you what I mean by this. For one, I'm going to give two ways. For one, it taught us things that we never knew were sin. Like, thou shalt love the Lord God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. Man, sin was now abounding in my life. Two, this is the big one. 
because of the disobedience that's running through us. You know what happens when now we have all these prohibitions and where people have rebellion and disobedience? It increases the desire for that sensuality. We want the forbidden. It increases, the law increases our sinfulness by seducing us itself to those very prohibitions that are given. The evil in our heart begins to lust for the forbidden fruit. You know, it's just like you hear you can't do something, and all of a sudden in your heart, you never wanted to do it before, within a measure, just all of a sudden peeks into your heart. Now I want to do that. That's because we have sin running through our blood. Disobedience running through our blood. So the effects of Adam, Adam's action, have been horrible and devastating on the world. So before I switch to Christ, I want you to think of this then. If when Adam took of that fruit, that was the one law he had, all right. And last week I got into what was behind that law. The pride, the, 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 the covetousness, different things that were leading to that. All right. But I want you to think about this before I go on to Christ. To think how powerful sin is. It was one sin. It was one sin. That's how powerful it is. One sin by one man cursed the entire universe. Condemned the entire human race. Now, here's the good part. The whole purpose for the text is the good part. It's true, sin did all that I just made the case for. But listen, it can all be nullified. Through the obedience of one. All of it. It can all be undone. This is where Christ comes in. To undo all the misery, all the consequences of that Adam's sin brought on mankind and on creation. Not only to undo, but what God chose to do with it was to give far more than what Adam ever had. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Now let's turn our attention to the Lord Jesus Christ, the other man who had the influence on all of humanity. We saw the devastation that his act of disobedience did. Now let's look on what the obedience of what one man and the actions that that has led to, the consequences that has led to. As we see back in our text. For by one man's offense, or excuse me, verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. 
The first thing it brings up here, and it certainly is the most important overall, is that it provides a means of justification, of victory over death, a victory over that eternal separation from God. I talked about that last week, so I'm not going to, bring, I'm not going to get into this too much this week. But again, remember this, what Adam, what Adam the results of Adam's actions can be nullified. What Christ provided, think about this, what Christ provides can never be nullified. Think about that. What Adam did had horrible consequences. But what Christ did changes it all. And what he did can never be undone. Just like he said in John chapter 10, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And what I love, and you know I love this about this verse. Uh, this, is, this is a rabbit trail. Just give me 30 seconds, because I'm not passing up verse 18 without going here. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. All men is what? Is that, all, is that every person? It is. Now, so guess what this means then? Even so, by the righteousness of one... The free gift came upon, what does it say? All men unto justification of life. So much for Calvinism. The disobedience of one brought death and ruin. So now, with the obedience of one, the Lord Jesus Christ, it undoes all of that. It brings life and joy and power. Notice what it says. Verse 19, For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. This This text is so important. Because you hear me say it every Sunday, how, how, how I'm going through the gospel, oh, well, not every Sunday, probably every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, how, how Christ's perfect life, how that's given to us, how we are made righteous. Listen, listen to me. Giving the gospel isn't hard. It's not about running through Romans 3, 10, 3, 23, 6, 23. What you have to let them know is, is that death reigns because of their sin. And the answer is what Jesus Christ did. That it's His righteousness. That what He did died to make them righteous. Just explain that on the cross, how He was their substitute. It's not difficult. Don't make it harder than it is. Several of you got this came to mind even laughing when I was studying this when I, when I was making notes on that part, how we make witnessing too difficult. You simply get across the truth of what Christ did. You do it with some passion and compassion. It's not running through a canned presentation to try and get somebody to say some words when you're all done. Jerry, uh, uh, Jordan had sent out an email or text, I don't know, like a month or two ago to several people in church. He had found some website that somehow these different places had money in your name. They said, hey, somebody ought to go there and check it. This store, I don't know, it was like Walmart and Costco and all these different places. And we had money in our name waiting for us. We had no idea. I don't know, it was like rebates. And so he had did that. You know what? I got news for you. When Jerry let us know of that 
stuff that belonged to, that was provided for us, he didn't have to take a six-week course on how to write that email. Don't worry, when I give the soul winning course, take it. Get proficient at it. It's the most important message the world needs to hear. But stop using an excuse that you can't. This isn't difficult. It is letting the world know that person with that disobedience running through their veins. That like this man said in his email, I just can't stop it. It's letting them know there is an answer. It's true, this is in you. It goes all the way back to Adam, but through the obedience of one and what he did on the cross, you can be saved from all of that. Christ's work, as Paul points out here, is far greater than what Adam did. We look at the wretchedness that Adam's sin brought as I tried to describe it, but Christ's grace does so much more. Of course, it saves us from eternal prison, eternal suffering. I mean, that's the biggest by far. That eternal judgment, that real lake of fire, the place of hell that was created for the devil and his angels. He now provides a means of escape. Now I want you to understand this. Even though the, those fallen angels are, are, are no doubt all around, even hearing me preach right now, this redemption isn't for them. God, for those angels that first fell, God provided no redemption. None. They have no chance at redemption. It was never Provided when they sinned. For us, it was. As this text tells us, this is provided as a gift. It's a gift from God through His grace. It's sort of comparing between grace and law here through Adam and Christ. I mean, this is a gift. All that this does, it forgives. It removes my guilty stain. It makes me righteous. It gives me purpose. It transforms me. It drives me to holiness. It changes my heart. I've been adopted, which scripturally what that means is I was born again, becoming a child of God. That's a whole other one. I am a son. Adoption speaks of heir. All that I'm going to get because I am his child. I have reconciliation in place with the Creator. I've been made a son. One day I will be glorified and stand with my Lord forever in a new perfect creation. That's reality. And the law could never do that, which most people in religion try to use. The law will never provide any of those benefits. It will condemn you. It will seduce you. It will show your depravity. It has no power to change your heart. It only has the power to reveal your heart. With Adam came the law. With Christ comes grace. So in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ met the sin of Adam. Guess who won? Now, this is where it gets really good, but this gets into chapter 6. Notice what he said as he finished here. Let me go to 20 and 21. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, 
grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Then he's going to go into chapter 6, keeping this same train of thought. So as we come to these last two verses going into chapter 6, all those things I just gave, it, it, it's not only what salvation does. As we're going to see as we get into Romans chapter 6, 7, 8, 12, 13, we're going to see how right now it helps me live for the Lord. Because the Lord in His grace and mercy, He's the one that can see clearer than anyone the sin coursing through our lives, in our veins. And with that salvation... He provides right now, even though we are not glorified yet. He provides power and help for the current life we're living. Think about this. Right now we see the condition of the world we're in. And we're just like, what are they thinking? I mean, it's, it's, it's literally is insane. We have at least seven genders. What? What is wrong with you? No, you have people either mentally unstable or have been polluted by their culture and they're delusional. But we can see it clearly. Thank the Lord you can. I have a, when I got saved, God's Spirit indwelled me, sealed me into the day of redemption. He became my teacher. He can illuminate truth. I can see things clearly. He gives me the power that I need. He gives me the sight that I need. Now my, it's like my consciousness has been awakened to a new level. Eyes being opened. How I can see right and wrong. And though the struggle with sin still exists and is very real, and that won't be over to the day I die, the drive to do right is so there that was not there prior. Again, the example I gave, because it's, it's, it's sweet in my memory, because the day that I got saved, I knew nothing yet. I put my faith in Christ, and a couple hours later, I was out with my friends, and I cussed like I always did. And then it just felt horrible all of a sudden. You know what I had all of a sudden? I had that sin, of course, still coursing through me, but now I had something to help me deal with it. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Listen, again, this is a reason why I don't get surprised when lost people act like lost people. You expect them to live like a spirit-filled Christian. What's wrong with you? He gives the strength that I need, the sight that I need, the power that I need. Romans chapter 6 is going to get into that in 7. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may be God forbid? How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not these are the baptism of Christ and how uh, uh, all that, that power that's involved there is available to us? Oh, how much more excellent and how great it is what Christ did for us. He just didn't just save us from hell. He made us sons and daughters. He made us heirs 
He's given us power, even in the world we're in right now, the help that we need. Full of forgiveness and grace, removing our guilty stains, making us righteous. He deserves all of us. The wonderful grace of Jesus. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Now let me ask this question. This one's important. If you were to die right now, do you know what's going to happen to you? Are you certain that heaven is your home? And if so, why? Because it's not baptism. It's not church membership. It's not how good you are. Because one day you're going to die. You're going to stand before a holy and a righteous God. And you have broken His law just like I have. And if you are found guilty, you will be cast into a lake of fire. Something must take place where you look perfect. As if you have never sinned. Which is what our text is about. There is the obedience of one man who lived the perfect life of obedience. He lived that life for you. To save you. He knows the disobedience that's running through you. And how it controls. How it condemns. How catastrophic it is. But just as that come through the disobedience of one, through the obedience of this one, he offers salvation. Christ went to that cross to take your place in judgment. To take your sin to give you his perfect life. He was your substitute. Defeated death and rose again. Is there anyone here say, Pastor, I think I need it. I don't know what's going to happen when I die. Please pray for me. Would you just raise your hand where I could see it? Anybody here like that right now? I see some small children. If you did put your hand up, I would need you to do it again. I missed it. All right, Christian. If the Lord spoke to your heart tonight, why?